finishing to you, before your loving hands, we pray that the meditations of his heart will be just the word you have in this season for us here in PPH, Lord. So we welcome your presence, you stir our hearts as we move on from here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, uh, Pastor, and uh, thanks uh, um, for sharing, um, uh, Julina, Beatrice, and uh, Eva. I think uh, I, I look very cool now, but you know, if you can see my heart, you know, uh, I think there are tears uh, flowing because how God has really used uh, us as a church, uh, as individuals, uh, to reach out uh, to this country. You know, when we started the work in East Timor, one of our prayers was that we, as we bless this little village uh, that uh, probably none of us uh, knew where even to locate on the map. Uh, and then uh, our prayer was really that this little village would then uh, be a blessing uh, to not only the village but to the community and then uh, to the country. And I think, uh, you know, with young people like uh, uh, Julina and Beatrice being trained, going back, uh, that's uh, we, we see that prayer uh, being answered and it's such a joy and uh, uh, privilege uh, to be a part of uh, God's work. So I, I know some of you have not been to East Timor and I think uh, you, you must go to East Timor. <laughs> uh, let me show you where uh, East uh, Timor is just to make sure that at least you can now locate it uh, on the map. Okay. Uh, so we are here, right, in Singapore here. East Timor is here, all right? And if you uh, blow up the map, actually Australia is right about here. So it's very, very close uh, to Australia, the northern part or the northwestern part of Australia. Uh, this is the capital, this is Dili. Uh, where we are at is uh, close by to Likisa. In fact, it's between Likisa and uh, Maubara. That's where uh, Vatunao is. Um, I, I just want to share with you one major uh, thought uh, today, uh, being Mission Sunday, and that is that we must really integrate social responsibility or biblical social responsibility and uh, the Great Commission. I think we are all aware and we all know what the Great Commission is. Right, go make disciples of all nations. But I think the, the biblical social responsibility part is probably needs a little bit of uh, unpacking. So what I thought we, I would do today is to think a little bit about what biblical social responsibility is and then to share with you how we integrated biblical social responsibility uh, with the Great Commission uh, in our mission work in uh, East Timor. And then to close off with really some personal sharing, some personal reflection of uh, how we were blessed, uh, especially Grace and myself, uh, from a personal perspective of how we ourselves were blessed as we got involved uh, in the work. So what is biblical social responsibility? I think to put it very simply, Biblical social responsibility is to take care of the vulnerable in society. Whether it's in our own society or whether it's in society uh, abroad, it is really to take care of those in need and those who are vulnerable. When we say take care, we mean meeting the felt needs uh, of that group of people, protection against exploitation. And in the Bible, there are really four major groups of people that the Bible repeatedly always uh, uh, encourages us to take care of them. Uh, these are so-called what people refer to as the quartet of vulnerable. These are the poor, the widows, the orphans, and the aliens or the foreigners. These group of people have difficulty caring for themselves usually because they are victims of circumstances beyond their control. 
And today, if you think about who this group of people are, whether it be in our society or in societies abroad, they are the poor. They are people who you know, uh, make less than one US dollar a day. Uh, uh, they are the orphans, they are the widows, they are the migrant workers, and they are the elderly who may be living alone. You find these people not only abroad in countries like Timor, but you also find them in Singapore. In fact, that was how we got involved in the work in Timor. And so this is how now you know, I, I begin to share with you a little bit of the context of how we got involved in the work in Timor. It was really a commitment by the churches in Singapore to help the vulnerable in Timor because there was a call by the president of Timor Leste at that time, President Zanana Guzmao, inviting the churches to come over to help their orphans and their widows. And so in response to that, the churches in Singapore got together and strategized and had a consultation and talked among one another how we could best as a church in Singapore help and uh, meet the felt needs of the orphans and widows. So you may ask the question, why so many orphans and widows in Timor? And here you need to understand a little bit of the history of Timor. For hundreds of years, they were a colony of Portugal. They were a Portuguese colony. When the Portuguese left in 1975, the Indonesians occupied uh, the, uh, the country. And that started a long struggle of the Timorese against the occupation by the Timorese, uh, by the Indonesians. From 1975 until independence, it's been estimated this ongoing war between the Timorese and the Indonesians resulted in the deaths of more than 200,000 people, many of whom are young men, right? And so they left behind families. And so there were many orphans and widows because of this long struggle for independence that occurred uh, in that country. That's one reason. The other reason was the poor state of health. When I first went to Timor in 2005, I was brought to a, this cemetery uh, by then the uh, director of World Vision, then Mr. Go Ping. And we were just walking through the cemetery. And it was heartbreaking, really, to look at the number of graves of young children, infants, who died. This was a fresh grave dug. You can't see, but this was basically a baby that died after one year old. You know, just the date of when he was born and the date when he was died. And this was a common occurrence in families. This grave here had two names, both from the same family. Both died within two weeks or something like that. I think it's heartbreaking to see the, the, the number of deaths, not just of infants, but also apparently at that time, mothers who died giving birth. And the tragedy, of course, is that the majority of these causes are largely preventable. Better nutrition, supplements for the mother, clean water, sanitation, a lot of these things that we take for granted uh, in Singapore. This is indeed a vulnerable group of people. Let me give you some statistics. When I was there, there was this board that was put up in the hospital. And I, I think you may not be able to see it very clearly, but it shows the maternal mortality ratio of the country at that point in time. These are all the other countries. And Timor-Leste is right here at 800 maternal deaths, mothers dying per 100,000 life births, right at the bottom of this. Worse than places like Nepal, you know, uh, Bhutan, Bangladesh, many, many times worse. 
800. Things have improved now. It's around 560 or so. Let me show you this statistic now of the under five mortality ratio. The under five mortality ratio is basically the number of deaths of children under the five, under five years old per 1,000 children. All right. I hope you can see amongst all the countries in this region, all right, Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam, and so on, in 2011, Singapore is doing the best. The under five mortality ratio is a leading indicator of health in general. I mean, specifically health of children, but in general, it also reflects the country's health as well as the level of development in the country. And Timo Leste is here. All right. Another one, infant mortality ratio, all right? Number of infants dying, uh, under one year old dying per 1,000 live births. This is the average over the past three years, all right? And these are, again, all the various countries. Very stuck. This is the rank in the world, all right? This is the rank in the world amongst all the different countries. Singapore is at number one. That's how good our healthcare system is. Ranked number one. Timor Leste is right here at 168. They are probably about 180 plus to 190 countries in the world. I think the message is quite clear. God has blessed Singapore with a fantastic health system best in the region, probably one of the best in the world. But I think with blessings come responsibilities. I think we have a responsibility to love our neighbours as ourselves. And I think Jesus taught us what it meant to love our neighbours, isn't it? He told the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Samaritan was going, was travelling, and he was, uh, some robbers came upon him and beat him up, robbed him, left him half dead. A priest came along, walked the other side. A priest is a religious person, walked along, saw him lying there, half dead, just walked on the other side, pretending not to see. Another person, uh, a Levite, came along, social, high social status person, came along, walked the other side as well. But a Samaritan, somebody whom Jews looked down upon, different religion, different social status, maybe as far as the Jews are concerned, much lower status. He was the one that came, tended to the wounds, poured oil, looked after him, put him on his donkey at risk to himself because we know that that road uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho was uh, fraught with all robbers all the time. So you are taking a risk being there and looking after this person who was wounded. Not only that, he put him on his donkey, brought him to uh, the inn, uh, tended to him, paid the innkeeper and told him to look after him and if he should spend more than what uh, he had given him to look after this uh, person who was, uh, this Jew who was hurt, he would come back and repay him. And I think the message of what love is, is clear from this story. First, love means taking care of the needy. This person was in need. It involves an action, doing something. It involves inconvenience because your schedule is messed up. It involves taking a risk because you might be robbed, and it involves generosity. Jesus also taught us who our neighbor is from this story, isn't it? It's just somebody who is in need, somebody who is vulnerable, a victim of circumstances, regardless of race, of religion, nor of social standing. And I think among our neighbors, as I tried to show you, as far as health is concerned, as far as development is concerned, they are amongst the most vulnerable and needy. Actually, you know, the church's biblical or the biblical social responsibility 
is really rooted in the Old Testament. I don't have time to go through the entire uh, rationale or biblical study with you, but I highly recommend you, for those of you who are interested, to read this excellent book on this topic uh, by Timothy Keller, the same author who wrote The Prodigal God, titled Generous Justice. It is really rooted, this whole idea of biblical social responsibility is rooted in the Old Testament. And this book traces and gives practical advice on how church and individual Christians can practice what he calls social justice and responsibility within our spheres of influence. In fact, taking care of the vulnerable, you'll know, is the bellwether of true faith in the Old Testament. You remember that the people during Isaiah's time were complaining that God didn't take notice of their fasts or of their religious observances. And the reason was clear. God told them that the, their fast was not acceptable, their religious observances were not acceptable because they were not expressions of true inner transformation. It was merely an outward religious observance devoid of inner transformation. And then God told them what kind of fast he expected of them in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6 to 10. And he said this, the kind of fast that God desires is to lose bonds of wickedness, to undo straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke, to share your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into your house. And when you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, to pour yourself out for the hungry and to satisfy the desire of the afflicted. I think the message is quite clear. Stop oppressing the vulnerable. Start taking care of them by, for example, providing them with food, with shelter, with clothing, tending to their needs, caring for them. That is the expression of true faith. When you come to the New Testament, it's exactly the same. James chapter 127, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The context of this passage, of course, was that James was trying to contrast between what is real faith and what is dead faith. And living faith, real faith, will be expressed in deeds like this, taking care of orphans and widows. And the word visit there is not just going to the house, coming out again, all right? It is really to take responsibility for their care. So the message, again, is clear, that real faith is expressed in caring for those who cannot care for themselves without expecting any return. And I think that was why churches in Singapore went into Timor to care for the vulnerable in Timor village by village as a visible and tangible expression of our living faith and of the love of God that is in us. This map shows the various districts you can't see very well uh, on this, but these are the various districts in Timor. There are 13 districts. Likisa, where Vatu now is, is one of the districts. <clears throat> and these are churches in Timor that are anchoring the work in the districts. For example, the church anchoring the work in Likisa is Living Sanctuary. There are different churches in Likisa working together uh, to bless and to uh, meet the felt needs of the people. When, I, when we started the work in 2005, 2006, these were some of the churches that were working together in Likisa. Today, we have these number of churches, including, churches, uh, including a church uh, from Perth, as well as now local churches in Dili that are now partnering together uh, in this endeavor. What did we do in Vatu now? I think one of the first things we did in Vatu now, and this is uh, Julina's old house. 
this was where she lived uh, together with Pak Liu, uh, who was the chief of the village at that time. Uh, we went in and we worked basically to help them get organized. We really didn't do that much. You know, to help them get organized, prioritize. This was the beginning of the community health education or the community health evangelism program uh, that we started. One of the first things we helped them do was to identify what their felt needs were. And this was from the village themselves. They listed this for water, healthcare, or clinic. They wanted to, to have a clinic because the nearest clinic was just too far away for them to walk and to seek medical attention. They, need, need, they needed to learn skills uh, so that they can have a livelihood and they needed some expertise in animal husbandry. And I think we worked over the years from 2005, 2006, we worked with them basically to empower the village to meet these needs. Uh, and the two principles that really guided us, I think, uh, are first, we were generous, and second, we were very thoughtful. Thoughtful to make sure that we were really helping them grow, develop, and get better, rather than uh, making, them, uh, making the community dependent. One of the first things we did was, of course, water. And this is a picture taken by Raj. Then, you know, the water is always a problem when during the dry season and some of the, the water is not coming down from the mountain. Uh, the, the children have to go collect water from different, different sources. And one of the things that we did with the water project was to help them change pipes, you know, uh, from uh, uh, PVC to HDPE. HDPE are these uh, kinds of uh, more flexible ones so that they don't break uh, during the rainy season uh, when there are uh, mudslides and so on. Uh, we help them build spring boxes to increase water, rehabilitate wells. And uh, I think many in this church were involved in this, led by Tin Yin, people like Casey, Lawrence went over. These are fantastic diagrams. I mean, this is to show you how meticulous, how thoughtful the whole process was. Uh, uh, I think Tin Yin and his team went up, walked up uh, this mountain to locate uh, where the spring, the source of the water was, and then draw fantastic diagrams like this to plan for how they can secure and uh, ensure a more constant water supply uh, for the village. See, they went around mapping where are the different water sources, where do we need to bring water to so that the village could have sufficient water during the dry season as well. And these are some of the pipes, you know, that uh, they replaced uh, to help them secure water. And then on the health part, you know, uh, Yuda started not only uh, uh, the Che, but also helped in very, very practical things like uh, uh, food preparation, uh, hygiene, even farming to make sure that they had enough food. And then when, when Raj went over uh, for six months, he really established uh, the clinic there uh, before we had uh, uh, proper facilities, a proper clinic. He opened up a little clinic in uh, Yuda's house and saw patients and in that way blessed the community. And then finally when the clinic was up, you know, we got the nurse to manage the, the clinic so that the, the patients in the village could have access uh, to health care. And then singing and uh, care channels uh, worked with the village to uh, produce carts like this so that at least they have a source uh, of income. Uh, and then we, we got... Uh, we got an agriculturist from China to help them, uh, to help the village set up what are called faith gardens. Faith, faith gardens are basically, you know, a, a way of uh, increasing the yields of the crops that you plant so that uh, you can have a greater harvest. And uh, these are some pictures that I can show you, uh, especially this one, you know. I always like to show this uh, before faith garden, after faith garden. <laughs> Uh, no need to talk anymore. <clears throat> you know what Faith Garden is, right? 
And because of this increased yields, some uh, sort of income. So as we were doing social work, we were also working in parallel, you know, to meet not only the felt needs, but also the spiritual work. And this is where I think uh, the main message of uh, what I want to talk to you today about is really that we need to integrate this social responsibility with building the church uh, in Batunao. And the, the strategy was basically to empower the local church in Batunao to reach out holistically to their own community, both socially and spiritually. The reason is because, I think Tim Keller, I like this uh, quote from him, evangelism is the most basic and radical ministry possible to a human being. Not because the spiritual is more important than the physical, I think both are just as important, but because the eternal is more important than the temporal. When we do social work, when we, when we talk about meeting felt needs, a lot of these are temporal. We all have to die at some time, to put it crudely. But the spiritual is what is eternal, and it is the spiritual that will have eternal consequences. So that's why we really want to integrate the, uh, uh, the social responsibility part with the Great Commission. And this is what we did. As the team were building up the community in all the things that I've talked to you about, Yuda and Julison were working to strengthen the local church and the community at the same time. And the pastor and the church members were also involved in developing the community uh, at the same time. Uh, pastor Miguel, the pastor of the church, uh, was involved in the CHE work, the community health evangelism work, visiting homes, uh, doing education, helping them to get a handle on nutrition, on health. Uh, he was also instrumental in, in setting up this faith garden that I talked to you about, so that this became the model that anyone in the village who wanted to learn about this, who wanted to be a part of this, can be. The idea was to empower the church to lead the community development so that it can reach out to the community in a holistic way. And I think this has brought uh, the church closer to the community, bearing in mind that the church was really a minority Protestant within a largely majority Catholic animistic kind of a community. And I think because of the church coming closer to the community, now parents are more willing to allow their children to come to Sunday school, and that's why we are growing a vibrant uh, a children's ministry in the church as well. Not only within the church, I think now the Vatunao Church is making an impact not, within, not only within the village, but also nationally. And this is, I think Yuda has shared with us, this national youth camp that was held in the little church in Vatunao. And now that church is providing leadership to the region, training of national evangelists in these various areas uh, listed uh, below. And these are some of, you know, uh, you, you see here in the little photo, Mike, Julison, Pastor Miguel and Nathan as facilitators going and visiting these different villages uh, around the region, uh, providing uh, training to the church leaders, working with the churches, often using the same strategy of trying to integrate social, spiritual together in uh, the community. This is another example of uh, uh, blessing the church in Manukabia. Sunday school as well as a, a youth program uh, in that area and here in uh, Vaulara. We have run a mobile clinic there. We have visited this uh, uh, very difficult to get village, uh, crossing uh, rivers and so on and inaccessible during the rainy season because of the rivers and there are plans now to start a school uh, in this village in Vaulara. And this is another example of one of the programs uh, working with the church in Vatuboro. So really the little church now in 
Vatunao is getting stronger. And I think with the return of young people like Julina and Beatrice, uh, and there are two others. Cornelius is now in uh, Jogjakarta, one year more to go. He will return to Vatunao uh, as well after he finishes. And Amandi, those of you who have visited Yuda, you will know who Amandi is. Amandi is also in Jogjakarta. He will be doing agriculture training. Uh, and he'll be uh, poised uh, to, to really be a blessing uh, to uh, Vatunao and to the region uh, with his agriculture expertise, I think. So I really think that the next generation of leaders who will sustain the building of the church and the community in uh, Timor-Leste in the years ahead is slowly being developed and grown. And the little church in Vatunao is now not only a blessing within the, the village, but also in the region. And this little church here in PBH, in this little corner of Singapore, now has the privilege of being a part of this work. And God has really answered our prayers, and it is just marvelous in our eyes. What are the future directions? I think one of the key things to remember is that Timor-Leste is not only young as a nation, they were just independent in 2002, but they are young, literally young. You see, 42% of their population under 15 years of age. Compared to Singapore, we are a little bit uh, more elderly, 17%. Median age, that, that means median age, that means most of the, the people are that age. Huh? In Timor-Leste, it's 22.8. Yeah? In Singapore, again, we are a little bit, uh, we're older brother, all right? I won't say father, you know, it's a bit too old. But uh, older brother at 38.4. And I think this informs what the future direction is. And the future direction is quite clear. It is in training and in education. Professional healthcare training is something that we have already started. We have been working with churches in Singapore, with hospitals like NUH, to send doctors into the hospitals to train the healthcare uh, teams there. Education is something that is tremendous, all right? Uh, by the way, a professional healthcare training, we have, we have, we have started the training. Uh, I think part of the dream that I have is still can be classified under here. I still think that, uh, still praying, still thinking, still dreaming, that we should have a Christian medical school started in Timor-Leste. Uh, we'll see how that ha whether that happens or not. Education, preschool, Something that uh, Julina and Beatrice shared with you a little bit about. Now going into the, um, the mountain area uh, where there is really no access, easy access to education uh, and pre starting preschools there. The government had uh, recent, uh, uh, had put in place a recent regulation now that requires all children to go through preschool before coming to primary school, all right? But the government uh, does not have any government-run preschools. All right? So where are these preschools going to come from? They're going to come from NGOs. They're going to come from people who are interested in going to set up preschools there. Fantastic opportunity for churches, for people who are interested to go in to start these preschools. From preschool, you have primary school. From primary school, you have secondary schools. And from secondary schools, you have universities. And before you know it, you have the ACS version of uh, what happened in Singapore. The best schools in the nation are the Christian-based or organized uh, 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 origin uh, schools. Bible school is something that is also lacking. There is no Protestant or evangelical Bible school that I know about. And I know singing is uh, working very hard uh, to try and... Uh, uh, do something uh, along these lines. And I think it will be a tremendous joy for us to see the setting up of a Bible school in that country. Skills training, agriculture, I told you about Amandi uh, singing and the Care Channels team have already acquired a piece of land in Loess. And they're gonna set up a skills training center there. And I think agriculture, animal husbandry is gonna be a part of that. So really, you know, these are some of the things moving ahead of where the work is. In the last, I know we are a little bit running late, but you know, indulge me, all right? 
just give me another 10 minutes or 5 to 10 minutes and I'll share with you from a personal perspective uh, so that the idea is really to encourage you to go out and be a part of what God is doing in the world. All right. So first, you know, uh, this has been a tremendous blessing for Grace and myself, uh, just being a part of this work. So many blessings to share with you about, but just to limit the time for five to ten minutes, I just share with you three. And the first is this, it's really more blessed to give than to receive. All right. I mean, that's, uh, we have been really blessed uh, in this. You know, you get to visit a beautiful country, all right? Timor-Leste is still very rugged, unspoiled, you know, beautiful thing, beautiful. Those of you who like to take pictures, you must go to East Timor, you know, uh, before uh, all the tourists uh, come in. Uh, uh, beautiful places to dive, you know, still very unspoiled, snorkel, uh, beautiful place. Uh, on and off, yeah? You get fantastic food, all right? There's a, there's a story behind this, you know, this, uh, I'm, I'm talking about the fish, uh, not Casey. <laughs> Uh, there's a story behind this. You know, I was, uh, we were going for this mobile clinic, you know, and nowadays I don't, I try not to drive anymore. I try not to drive because I need to look out. And these are the things I'm looking out for, okay? <laughs> and out of the corner of my eye, I spotted this guy, this poor guy, you know, carrying this load in his, uh, this bucket with uh, these uh, tails of this fish sticking out, you see? So I said, wow, you know, I must relieve him of this uh, burden, right? I mean, so many fish, uh, he was probably carrying this fish to the market, so we stopped. We were the last car, right? A pastor was there, I think uh, there were three cars, uh, three cars moving to this uh, uh, place to run a mobile clinic. And we had to stop, I mean, I had to stop, right? Uh, to get this fish, right? And uh, as a result of that, we were delayed, you know? And we were in an area that you, you, you cannot contact by phone because uh, there was no reception. And the two cars ahead were worried, you see? Uh, wondering what happened to us, right? Did we have an accident? Did we get lost or whatever it is? They were really worried. They were about to send the car back when we finally arrived with this uh, bunch of fish. And I tell you, uh, they were quite angry with me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think all was forgiven when they finally tasted how, uh, how great this uh, fish was, how nice tasting it is. So that's that's the moral of the story, yeah? <laughs> uh, you get nice food, yeah? And if you really open your eyes, sometimes you get these lobsters, you see, yeah? So it's fantastic, you know what I mean? Why, why would anyone not want to go for mission trips? I don't understand. Secondly, I mean, my wife and myself really experienced the reality of what it meant in Psalm 133, I think. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. You get to work with fantastic people, people from different churches. You know, here you have a, uh, you know, you know these people, right? Uh, Mike, uh, Julison, Pastor Miguel, Nathan, and Amandi. If you have been there before, you, you would have known them. Different churches, different countries, different customs, culture, privilege for us to really work. These are probably pretty serious looking guys. Huh? Then you get people who are, then you get to work with people who are a little bit more balanced. <laughs> yeah, uh, you may recognize some faces here. I, I, for the sake of, uh, I won't tell you who they are, but uh, <laughs> they're very balanced people. And then you get to work with people who are downright fun, interesting, and zany, all right? And some of you who have been to Timo, you will know uh, uh, Kim Chai and uh, Jenny, yeah? I think the fellowship and the friendship we have experienced over the years has been a tremendous joy for us, and it has encouraged us, and it has encouraged and has lifted our faith. You know, I know of no other work uh, in Singapore that has so united the churches together. So many different churches working together towards a common cause. A tremendous opportunity that God has given to us to build a nation's faith. Sometimes I reflect and I wonder whether the church in Singapore 
needs Timor-Leste more than Timor-Leste needs us. Perhaps the opportunity that God is giving to us all together as churches in Singapore is for us to learn what it means to work together, to accept one another's diversity as strength, and then to work together to make an impact in the region rather than quibbling about our little differences here and there. And finally, and this is something, you know, when I was uh, preparing this uh, talk today, I asked uh, Grace, uh, uh, you know, so, so what, what, what should I, what do you think I should say, you know? And this is her contribution, so I got to put it right at the end, right? <laughs> I think really this is the most impactful part, and that is the great blessing of knowing that you are a part of God's work because missions is God's idea. Missions is God's work. And God's work never lacks God's resources. And for much of this work, we really had the privilege of simply witnessing, simply being carried along, as it were, by what God wants to do in the land. Just going with the flow of it, as it were. And it is just such a joy and such a privilege for us as a couple and maybe as a family uh, to, to really be a part of this. So many things working together, you know, the pieces of the puzzle fitting together cannot just be coincidences. How we landed up working in this village in Watunau, how we connected with Rebecca, who was the director of the CHE program in Indonesia at that time, you know, how God had even prepared Pastor Miguel through a CHE training program before we even arrived, how he brought Yuda into this work through dreams, and how NUH doctors got involved, how Raj got involved and spent six months in uh, Timor. All these things are just God's invisible hand guiding things along. I just want to end with this passage. And this was something that really encouraged me just two weeks back when Lyong, when we ran a mobile clinic workshop here in PPH, and he closed that workshop with a reflection on, on, on this passage taken from uh, Isaiah chapter 41. I read this for you. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, and I think we can really identify with this in Timo, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on bare heights. That's a miracle. You, you don't have rivers on bare heights. And the fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and dry land springs of water. You know, in mission sometimes, you look at the huge need that there is out there. And then you wonder, you know, what can I, what can we as a church, what can even the church in Singapore do? In fact, one of the participants at the mobile clinic that we ran a couple of weeks back shared with tears, literally tears flowing down her eyes, flowing down her face, when that, how she felt when she first went to Timor. Looking at the vulnerabilities, the needs, and she was just so overwhelmed by the whole thing, she never went back. But Isaiah chapter 41 reminds us that reaching out to the, and meeting the needs of the poor is not our work. It is God's work. He's committed to it, to it and it cannot fail. If, even if it means miraculously having to make rivers flow from barren heights and opening springs in dry land, the passage in Isaiah goes on to say, I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. These are all trees, all right? I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together. There are seven trees here, perfect number of what God can do. Huh? That they may see and know, may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. Right now, only one tree that I know of grows well in Timor. That's the eucalyptus because it's so dry. 
But what is impossible, humanly speaking, is totally possible with God. And I think this is such a passage that's, that speaks so much to all that we are trying to do. You know, uh, It is so impossible. All the needs that are out there, whether it be in Timor or in Bangladesh or in Philippines or in China or wherever it is. But it is not our work. It is God's work. And it is such a privilege for any one of us really to be involved in it because it just brings so much joy to your hearts. It lives your faith. God specializes in making the impossible possible. Okay, one last thing, all right? This is a picture that shows baby Regina, all right? Baby Regina is two weeks old. Uh, she was born in this camp here, in Matinaro camp in 2006 when we went in uh, to help look after some of the patients in this camp. They were, she was born in this camp because there was some civil unrest and the people were very afraid to stay in their homes because it was being uh, burnt and people were being attacked and they felt safer in, in, in staying and in living in these UN camps. And she was born there and uh, uh, at that time the churches, you know, at least uh, 10 different churches went in uh, to help this. Altogether, I think maybe 20 churches over a span of uh, a couple months went in to provide health care. And she was having high fever at that time and uh, thankfully we managed to identify what the cause of the fever is. They're just simply treating that with some antibiotics and I'm sure she was okay. But I think baby Regina sort of epitomizes for me the hope that I have for Timo. And this is the Regina generation who have been blessed by God's people, whether from Singapore, from Australia, or wherever it is, that they in turn were paid forward and blessed others in Christ's name, raising a generation of people like Regina, like, uh, like all the young people that we are working with, uh, Julina, Beatrice, uh, Cornelius, uh, Amandi to bless others in Christ's name so that at the end of the day when we all come together as churches or people who are not in churches looking at all these things happening may see and know and may consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done all this and I think this is such a wonderful thing for us to be a part of and this is really for us Personally, for Grace and myself, the greatest blessing for us to be involved in a work like this. So thank you uh, for uh, this uh, uh, listening. And, uh, sorry that we have uh, taken over uh, the time, but let me just now just spend this time and uh, just pray for us and uh, lead you in a very short time of response. I know we don't have time again to sing <laughs> the response song, right? Let's pray together. Even as we um, quieten our hearts, uh, let's be sensitive you know, to what God has been speaking to you this morning. Just take some time as you bow before him, as you acknowledge his sovereignty. And I think that's what we've been singing about uh, this morning. How great is our God and how we all look forward to that day when we all stand together uh, as different nations, people from different nations, from different tribes, different tongues, gathering together with one voice, praising and glorifying God. This is our hope. Uh, this is what God wants to do through us. And this is what He gives us, this resources and gives and the, the fantastic health that we have, the, the state of development that we have in Singapore, all these things are his blessings to us so that we can now be blessings to the neighbors that are around us. What is God speaking to you about? I hope that you personally, you and your families would be encouraged to embrace missions, to make the time, 
to go out. And as you go out to open your eyes and your heart to see what God is doing in the, the other parts of the world. And then get involved because you know it's such a joy to be part of God's work. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that uh, you are the architect of missions. Missions is so close to your heart. And we see right through the Bible, God, uh, your heart going out towards the needy. You identify yourself as the father of the fatherless, of the poor, of the needy, of the vulnerable. And you have given us this heart within your church. And I thank you for this church here in PPH. So many have resonated with this call of going out, meeting the needs, of discipling the nations, and to do it in a holistic way. And we just want to thank you that you have called us and you have blessed us. And so, Father, we just want to pray for those who are considering getting more involved, considering going out of the comfort zone to be a part of what you are doing in, in the world, uh, that they would respond to your call, and that as they do, I pray that you open their eyes and open their hearts to feel what you are feeling, to see what you see, and to follow and obey the direction that you want for them, so that they may also be blessed in the process of being a part of your work. So thank you, God, for uh, your presence here with us this morning. Thank you for all that you are doing in this country of Timor. And thank you, God, for the opportunity and the privilege for us here uh, to really be just a small part of that work in this land that you love and that you have great plans for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.